Hello and welcome to CXO Talk, episode number 248. It's Tuesday, August 1st, uh, 2017, and uh, uh, my name is Diane Hinchcliffe, uh, and I have a very distinguished CIO guest with us today, um, Mark Settle, CIO of Okta. Welcome, Mark. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so uh, we are very interested to hear about your CIO background. You're a seven-time CIO. It's your seventh stint, I believe, at, at Okta. Uh, but uh, Okta is a company that I think many have heard of, but don't know what they actually do. So maybe you can give us a little explanation of what Okta does, and then give us a, a, you know, a, a brief update on your current role and your CIO background there. So uh, Okta offers cloud-based solutions for identity management. Um, you know, when I first started in the field of IT, the biggest problems I had in identity management was having a head of sales come on my doorstep after he just hired the some new reps and tell me it was taking IT two weeks to get them provisioned and get them gainfully pulled to work. More recently, companies have had a lot of issues around um, you know, secure access to their business systems and specifically deprovisioning employees and contractors that have sometimes hung around in, in their you know, systems, uh, either covertly or overtly. Um, so identity management has become a, a big thing. Um, Okta was the first vendor to actually bring identity management to the cloud and offer a cloud-based solution and we can manage identities either within a company, so we can assist with uh, customer programs like loyalty programs, or with suppliers that come in and out of a company every day to do different forms of work. Yeah, and identity, you know, the user logins and, uh, and everything associated with that, it's the core of IT, uh, being able to give people access to that. And you guys enable people to be able to do that with cloud-based services instead of on-premise IT. That, that's Absolutely. the core. Absolutely. Right, yeah, that's what and so, so your your uh, your job as CIO. Uh, when I typically most organizations bring a CIO in for a particular mandate or an imperative, something that you know, is an inflection point in the organization. Uh, can you share with us a little bit about your background, uh, how you got on, on board with Okta, and uh, you know what your big mission was there when you first arrived? So actually, I was an Okta customer. I implemented Okta um, about four years ago in a in a software company with about ten thousand employees. So I had firsthand knowledge of the product. Um, and I had never worked it for a startup company before. Uh, we've gone public since my arrival about a year ago. That was an interesting experience. Um, so, I, you know, both of those were, were factors that drew me to Okta. I knew the management team fairly well, and um, I really thought they had carved out fairly unique space. I mean, the idea of identity management becoming a mission-critical capability, not just some kind of a hygiene function, um, you know, it's very appealing to me from kind of an innovation and transformational point of view. Uh, you know, the two missions we're on, you know, here are one to grow the company. So, uh, you know, scaling our systems, not only to just handle more employees, but also to handle increasing business complexity as we start to branch out and uh, increase sales activities and development activities in places like Canada, uh, London, and Sydney. Uh, and then also, we're you know, we're trying to live the dream that we espouse to our customers. And so, uh, the founders of the company believe that the identity services that we offer would become critical as enterprises increasingly backed away from legacy you know, on-premise um, applications in their data centers and leverage cloud-based services. And I think the mental model that they had was, you know, how is an employee going to function in the world of 2017 if they've got 20 to 30 SaaS tools that they're intermittently um, accessing during the day? So Octa was conceived as a gateway to empower uh, the use of the cloud. And so we try to live up to that, that philosophy or credo 
by actually basing all of our internal operations solely on SaaS tools, software as a service capabilities. So I operate no data center whatsoever, and we operate the company on about 150 SaaS applications. And so you are living the cloud dream. You are essentially 100% public cloud. Is that right? We are 100% public cloud. Now, the term living the dream, uh, <laughs> as, as in so many other things in life, you know, you know, sometimes be careful what you wish for because, you know, there's, there's certainly, um, there's pros and cons to, you know, any, any um, mix of on-prem and off-prem capabilities. One um, of the ones that you run into in a, in a cloud-based world like this a lot more emphasis on, on integrations among various tools that have been brought in. So, you know, large ERP packages like Oracle or SAP would have a lot of those kind of integrations inherent in the package that they're, they're selling. Uh, when you start to select best of breed SaaS applications and knit them together, then yeah, tier organization inherits some integration responsibilities that maybe don't exist in more of a classic ERP dominated world. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a real, it's a real challenge, isn't it? Uh, and at least uh, by eating, you know, your, your own dog food or drinking your own Kool Aid, however, you, whatever phrase you want to use, um, you are learning a lot about what your customers are going to face. And so, you know, I have to believe that that also has to help, essentially, uh, with product development as well. You're not just, you're not just running the business in terms of technology. You're also helping and make sure that you are proving out the product as you guys grow the company. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. So, uh, seven times, is that right? Or this is your eighth stint, or, or, or uh, which one are you uh, right this is, now? This is number seven. I actually did the math this morning to get ready for my conversation with you. So, I look back to the first title, which was in 1997. So, I'm, I'm, I'm seven over a 20-year period. So, I think, you, you know, right about the industry average. I don't know where that's fluctuating these days, but I'm a little under three years uh, per stint. Yeah, I think it's... it's it's right around, yeah, three and change is the average right now, I think. Um, so that's interesting. But that really makes you a glutton for punishment. The, the CIO is a thankless job, right? Um, the, um, you know, it's a, uh, when things go wrong, it's your fault. When everything goes right, no, you never hear from anybody, right? Uh, and so uh, what attracts you to the role of being the most senior person in charge of information technology in an organization? Um, you know, I, I, you got to imagine there's something that you really enjoy about it. You know, I think I think it's going to be trite because I think you'll get the same answer from a lot of people, whether they're CIOs or they work in other parts of the IT organization. I think people that really um, like change, you know, because the technology will always change. You can look back over a career, even as short as five years um, in IT, and you know, the, the rush of new capabilities that is eternal or perpetual, you know, really is um, stimulating from an intellectual point of view. Uh, sometimes leads to enhancements to a current business model or an extension of a current business model. So I think some of the, you know, the personal satisfaction I get is trying to, you know, play the jigsaw puzzle of determining where some emerging technologies may actually be able to um, improve our internal productivity or, or you know, lead to uh, some new revenue opportunities. So it's the, the change part of it. Um, and I think the other kind of trite answer, but again, it's true, is in the CIO role, you really get to watch the the business operate on an end-to-end -end basis as opposed to, you know, working in marketing or finance or supply chain or manufacturing. You know, you're really trying to optimize um, productivity, efficiency across that, that entire uh, chain of value. And, and inevitably, the people running the functional groups don't have the same perspective and tend to focus somewhat myopically, but, you know, justifiably on ways that they can improve their own um, internal activities or, or their, their segment of the value chain. So I think, you know, CIOs that can uh, really think in business terms, uh, 
can be a huge resource to CEOs and CFOs in terms of picking through investment strategies. You know, and, um, a good example being, I remember after a ERP implementation of a specific company, you know, the CFO and I had a heart to heart. And although his finance his finance team benefited from the new ERP system, you know, we were able to come to a mutual agreement that we had invested plenty in back office processes for some period of time. And, you know, we needed a kind of a shakedown cruise for a year or two to really get the full benefit of those investments. I really needed to pivot pretty sharply and start looking at the front office and what we were doing to arm our sales force and uh, make some investments there. So, you know, I really, I really think that end-to-end value chain perspective, um, it's educational, you know, it's intellectually stimulating, and I think you can come away from that feeling you've had a real impact on the company. Yeah, because you, you can see the entire picture forming, right? You can see what the, the end-to-end impact, as you said, is on that. So, exactly. no, that's, uh, and, and not everyone has that ability to have that system thinking view of everything. I think that uh, it, it's a challenging to fit all of that in your head. So. Uh, and you mentioned that a little bit uh, in terms of you know uh, you know focusing on the front end and then focusing on the back end. Uh, can you give us a sense of your main priorities as a CIO today? Uh, it, you know, in your uh, write up, you have a lot of different uh, a lot of different areas that you focused on uh, the business in Okta. Is there some? Uh, can you give us kind of a, a sketch of you know how, what you're prioritized on and how do you do that? Yeah. So so again, I, yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, the things that I, I focus on, I think, you, again, you get a very common answer from many other CIOs. It's almost scale invariant, I think, in a way, because of the technologies that are available to all of us. So one, obviously, is you know leveraging the cloud. Now, some companies, that really translates into looking at your application portfolio and really driving more of a SaaS crusade to um, you know try to gain access to some of the business agility that comes from having um, SaaS tools. Um, you know, another key dimension is uh, collaboration. There's a proliferation of collaboration tools in most companies today. And, you know, the challenge is, are we really getting business benefit from this or do we have a bunch of different sandboxes? And, and in effect, you know, if you can reach a point where um, you may actually undermine the productivity of the organization by having, having an explosion of uh, collaboration tools. Um, security is important. Everybody is... Uh, probably entertains uh, two security vendors a week that come in and claim they have the, you know, the secret sauce, the missing jigsaw puzzle piece that's going to lead to the totally comprehensive solution. Um, and then data analytics and data insights. Um, you know, we're constantly looking at ways in which Okta customers are adopting new features and functions in our product set and feeding that back to our product managers as well. So, you know, cloud leverage, security, um, collaboration tools, and data analytics you know, I think the mix might change depending on a company's um, current financial situation, some of its competitive challenges, and maybe the industry that it's in. But I think you'd find, you know, if you interviewed uh, 50 CIOs, a lot of those same themes would appear very, very common. Yep. Thanks, Mark. And, uh, and for those who are watching, we're with um, uh, Mark Settle, CIO of Okta. We're taking your questions on the on Twitter with the hashtag CXO Talk. Uh, so, Mark, you just gave us a, a very wide-ranging view of your priorities and things you have to focus on. That's a lot uh, to take into account. And we, we really, we do, I talk to a lot of CIOs. We have, you know, we have CXO talk, and we, we, we've been very fortunate to see a, a growing perspective um, on how the CIO role is cha- changing. Some people are saying you should, you know, be more focused on digital business and have a P&L, and others are, are really focused on, you know, how do we uh, improve the innovation function and move much more quickly What's your sense on how the core role of the CIO is changing? Given all the things you just mentioned, that's a lot for one person to manage. But, but, yeah, 
I agree. If you step back really and look what's what's happened in you know the world of IT or our part of the of the world, um, I, I think most IT organizations are renegotiating the rules of engagement with these different functional teams. And again, this is a very commonly addressed topic. Um, but increasingly, functional groups are able to go out and find new tools and capabilities that they can you know, evaluate on their own, they can implement on their own, and they can administer on their own. And the old command and control days, uh, you know, where IT <laughs> was, was uh, um, the quartermaster and like the sole, uh, sole uh, gateway to... Uh, well, people, people have likened IT to Dr. No, right? Exactly. No, exactly. exactly. So I think you know across the board, and another another um, uh, common talk track around this is you know the sometimes tension, sometimes partnership that can develop between an IT organization and a marketing team. Um, and many times the marketing folks are, are there's a lot of innovation happening in that area with regard to campaigns and lead generation and customer behavior and interests, et cetera. Um, and so there's a lot of new tools that are coming coming into that domain. Supply chain, there's been innovation. Uh, in that area as well. So just, I think you have to you know, look overall and, and, and again, in the earlier, earlier times, IT would have bought the software, put it on the servers, put business, business systems analysts out into the functional teams, collective requirements, customized, you know, the legacy application, et cetera. And that's really like, you know, the old way of doing business. That's kind of gone away. And now you've got um, functional teams that actually have a lot of capability around um, configuring these tools to meet the uh, support the processes that they want. Now that happens up to a point. Roads still lead back to IT around issues like data management um, and security and integration with other tools. And so just to be transparent, you know, sometimes I kid, so I'll have a member of my team that'll come in and go, oh my God, you can't believe so-and-so went out and bought such and such and they've gone off and like they're starting to do something that um, we didn't even know about. And sometimes I just grin and say, don't worry, they'll be back here pretty soon. Because they're going to find out that, you know, that uh, they're going to want to integrate that with some other tool or they're going to drag some data into that system that comes from some other uh, part of the company. And so you know, sooner or later, Rose will uh, lead back to, to IT. And, uh, and so, but, but in, in the general sense, the, you know, the core way of doing business really does change in a you know, more of a cloud-centric world. Um, and and you know, the command and control and hierarchical approach to trying to uh, um, control things is is fading, and I, and I would caveat that a little bit. You know, that's uh, depends a lot on industry. If you or I were, and I were working in a wealth management firm, you know, or a private equity firm, or maybe uh, in a legal firm with a lot of uh, high-end litigation going on, I think we'd find a lot more control over the way documents were managed and you know messages were screened and, and those kind of things. So, but, no, I, but I think it's fair to say that the legal field isn't changing as fast as the the digital world or the, or the rest of the world, and so. You know, uh, in an exponential age, uh, you know, how can you have top-down control with your, you know, one-year or two-year, three-year budgetary plans and, and roadmaps when the business is changing so quickly? So, I'm, I'm, I'm personally, I'm glad to hear you say that it's becoming less hierarchical. Uh, but what happens when, um, you know, you imply that there's a lot more to IT than most people realize, right? So that's why the road always leads back because you have the expertise for, to do all the things under the waterline that people have no idea has to be done, right? right. Uh, do you enable, so do you, do you, you don't try and stamp those things out, you let them experiment and then let them come to you and you try and figure it out or what's, what's your process for kind of bringing them in from that, from the cold? I have kind of two uh, perspectives on that, which I'm 
I'm hopeful is I hope are going to be helpful to the some of our listeners here today. Um, so one, there's a first order difference in my mind between a platform application like Workday for HR or NetSuite for finance or Salesforce uh, for sales, and for want of a better term, bolt-on applications. So maybe there's an applicant tracking system that would work in conjunction with a Workday. You know, maybe there's a travel reimbursement system that would work in conjunction with NetSuite. And so I think um, it's easier to innovate around the edges, right? So it's easier to look for new opportunities in that bolt-on kind of ecosystem where there may be some incremental capabilities um, or just new approaches or whatever uh, without threatening the core platform in any way. The bigger changes, which are harder to implement and harder to innovate around, um, you know, are clearly um, your core platform tool. I think that's actually one of the beauties of the SaaS universe. The plug-and-play capabilities of some of these tools is actually quite large, and so if you were to uh, discover the better applicant tracking system, the conversion would be relatively trivial. I mean, just you know, something like that in a matter of weeks. So that's that's one, you know, and that really relates to business risk. You know, where can I make a, a where can I dabble with something or um, uh, try it for innovation where um, where uh, in an isolated way where it's not some kind of a huge business risk that we're incurring. You know, if we lost our applicant tracking system for two days, the world would not come to an end. The other yeah, thing, that's, I, that's edge IT versus core IT, right? Exactly. There you go. And I like that edge IT idea. And, and then the other thing I caution people, because I've been burned by this myself, you know, I think if you're looking at startup companies, which is a great, great way to think about um, you know, innovating and, and kind of bringing some opportunities for competitive advantage into your own, your own in-company ecosystem, you, know, you really want to be careful at what stage of development they're in. And so from my personal experience, if a startup has received Series B funding, um, you know, and it's got a level of maturity, maybe fifth. I don't know, a couple hundred customers. I don't know if there's a hard and fast rule here, but you want the product to be mature enough, you know, that you don't find yourself in kind of a user acceptance testing mode working with the tool, where you're almost, you know, arm in arm with the product managers back at the at the startup company, you know, trying to steer their development and basically debugging, you know, some of the early early releases of Yeah, you can't wait that long. Yeah, yeah, that's a major drag on what you're doing. Well, there's that, and I mean, really, you're burning. I worry more about burning up my headcount, you know, burning up my bandwidth, you know, helping these guys out rather than getting my work done. So um, I've been, I've been kind of hypnotically drawn into some of those black holes, you know, through um, maybe premature enthusiasm a couple of times, and I've kind of been burned, and I've learned my lesson that you know, I'll let others have that experience, and then I'll, I'll be the early adopter at the Series B or post stage. Yeah, well, but anyway, it's hard not to. I mean, that's the problem with technologists uh, uh, like ourselves is, is you get drawn to the technology and you realize the possibility of being able to shape a product to meet your needs. But as we all know, that, 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 can, that can be an issue. So, um, so getting back to this discussion, you know, you, you mentioned something very important early on that um, one thing that Octa can do is kind of see across all of its customers. You know, and there's that famous saying that, you know, my data tends to be better when it's with your data. And so, you know, when we talk about how IT can enable the business to disrupt the competition in the market, um, you know, how can IT help do that? I think one way you, you mentioned already is, is uh, turning that kind of uh, wide-ranging perspective on user behavior into, into data that makes product better. Uh, but are you seeing that as IT becoming a competitive, a true competitive advantage now? Yes. I think you know, one of the challenges that we've faced in the past, I mean, we always kind of focus on ourselves as how can we move faster, right? How can we find that new capability, test that new capability, buy that new capability, you know, and, and get it into production, et cetera. And frankly, because IT people like to focus on technical problems, 
along those lines. I mean, that's where a lot of the effort goes. And what we really don't do a good job of is looking at the changes to the people and the business processes that really have to occur to, you know, get any benefit out of some kind of a new technical solution. And so, I mean, I, I kind of find this interesting, you know, we've, as, as IT professionals, we've beaten our chests for, oh my Lord, you know, for years about how we were able to time box the delivery of new capabilities and then um, Agile appeared on the horizon and, you know, we adopted scrums and, you know, we're just, we're churning out all this kind of good stuff. But all too often, what you find is the users that you're trying to serve will be the first to tell you, I can't, I can't absorb new capabilities like every other week. I can't even absorb it every month, maybe on a quarterly basis. Like if you can put all that good stuff together and then train me on it once every 90 days, you know, then I can do something useful with that. I, I remember once I had a colleague at a, a well-known insurance company and they had embraced Agile and very proud of what they were able to accomplish. And all of the field agents, the insurance agents in the field, you know, had these laptops and they were constantly delivering new capabilities. In fact, I think they had a, a bi-weekly release that occurred every other week. They were providing some updates and new capabilities. And there was almost a revolt from the field. And the agent said, you know, I, don't, I can't take two hours every other Monday and just sit there and take the CBT training about what the new capabilities are. I just don't have the time. Frankly, probably don't have the interest to, to do something like that. The other problem you run into along these same lines is you know, sometimes it's essential to put together multiple agile releases, you know, to impact a certain business process. You know, let's say we were going to try to reduce the time required to source a loan or source an insurance policy, whatever. And, you know, I don't think anybody on the business side would have the stomach of, let's say it took two weeks to do it today. I don't think they want 20 releases so that every release we chop off one day off of that off of that process, right? They're going to say, well, maybe we do it twice. Let's get down to a 10-day origination period, then maybe a five-day, and we'll play it, you know, cautiously and see where we go from there. But um, some of the way we think about delivering new capabilities to the business really just don't square with the way the business is either is ready to consume them. Um, and some and so some of that is inevitable because certain processes all have to work together. But a lot of it is just, you know, through the conventional way IT has worked with its clients. And, and we, you know, we've got to get the clients on board with Agile as much as we've got to learn how to do it on our side. And I really don't think, you know, we've been very successful at educating people about on, the, on our customer side about how they could work with us in different ways to avail themselves of new, new capabilities more quickly. Yeah, so you've really brought up a very interesting line of, uh, of thought, which is, you know, as technology changes and improves exponentially, the ability for the business to absorb that change, to metabolize all the, the, the new releases, the new tools, new technologies, new user interfaces, uh, is limited. It's fundamentally limited, and it's, it seems like the human component is becoming the the, the, the factor that, that controls how fast you're able to move. And yet, when I talk to CIOs, I surveyed the top um, 50 CIOs, at least on my list, of who I think in the world are the leaders. And 96% of them came back saying they're under, either under strong or very strong pressure to move more quickly. And we all know what happens when they don't. Um, so, but yet, what you're highlighting with the core challenge is not so much the technology, but just the, the, the fundamental human limitations of the business side to be able to, to absorb them. What are we going to do about that? How do we, how do we start dealing with that? Um, maybe everybody on the business needs to read the uh, Reese book about minimum viable product, you know, because I there think... There we go, exactly. You know, I think we're telling ourselves on our, our, our side, saying, you know, what is the minimum useful 
increment of capability we can kind of push across the transom um, and, and, you know, if the receptivity on the other side, you know, we've got, do, we've got to do something about that. You know, maybe it's, I, 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 I don't think there's a generic answer. Well, I've heard what some of the CIOs say is simplify, 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 right? So civilization advances when things are made, you know, when something complicated is made simpler, that may be an answer. And I certainly have heard a lot of people suggesting that things like uh, robotic process automation, artificial intelligence, machine learning are, is going to take care of some of that that issue by just doing the work directly, right? So you know, I think these are some of the questions that, that we're all grappling with is where do we, how are we going to accelerate the business and how can we help the business do that? Because I don't think that they have the ability to, without our help, without IT's help to be able to do that. I, I, I was gonna pick up on that, Diane. Um, and, and you know, I think the, this part of our conversation really focuses on maybe more you know, enhancements and kind of incremental improvements along the way. I, I know I'm sure many of the people that are, that are joining us today are thinking about ways of trying to have a more strategic impact on the business. You know, how do, let's say you step back and you look at that value chain, you can see some real opportunities, maybe, you know, underlap or overlap um, connections between some of these different functions or some new tools, some new process, you know, could really have a, a, a big impact. And I, I've been personally, you know, involved in many kind of Don Quixote quests to, you know, bring forth that major strategic program that was going to lead to new revenues or improve profits, really kind of uh, move the needle. And, and many of those are fraught with all kinds of, you know, peril, um, uh, both from a career point of view and a technical point of view. But, um, you know, the table stakes for any of those kind of conversations come down to really credibility and trust. And, and I think people who really want to move the needle with the business, you know, the first thing you got to do is do your own blocking and tackling, you know, the basic parts of running an IT function. I mean, if you can't provision new employees on day one, you can't get stuff resolved at the service desk, you know, the Wi-Fi breaks down, the AV equipment only works half the time, you know, even though you, as the CIO, might say, well, that's, you know, just kind of BAU stuff and we'll make it better you know, quarter to quarter or year to year, uh, those kind of, um, you know, constant frustrations that people experience can really undermine the credibility of the organization. So, you know, it's hard for people to conceive that they should throw 10 million, you know, in your path and, and let you go save the world for them. So credibility is huge. You know, and then trust. I think, you know, execs want to believe that you've got some insight into their business. And you know, all too often, we like to go and just ask people questions, collect data, go back and start writing requirements, documents, and business cases um, where we would, uh, you know, uh, probably, probably do a lot better uh, job of developing relationships with those prospective customers if we went out to a sales quarterly business review, right? Or we visited a couple of customers, maybe with a member of the customer yep. success. Spend time with the business. Yep. You know, you really got to get in their shoes. And that's when they think, you know, he gets it. She gets it. They can see what I'm, I'm up against here. You know, now I believe, you know, now when he brings forth this crazy terminology about bots crawling some data lake to populate a, you know, a telepathic marketing campaign, you know, now I get it. Now he can, he, I can see how that's going to work. Otherwise, when you pitch that for the first time, you know, they think you come from Pluto. They don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, great, great insights, Mark. Um, so we're, we're well over halfway through the show. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Livestream, which uh, does uh, the, all the technical pieces in the background to bring you CXO Talk. Um, and uh, uh, please ask your questions on Twitter using the hashtag CXO Talk. Uh, so, Mark, you brought up a bunch of challenging issues. Um, uh, 
how do we, you know, you, you were talking about building requirements documents and out of isolation with the users. And Agile was supposed to solve that, um, you know, by putting everyone in the same room so that, you know, if one thing changed, the developer, the tester, the business user, uh, the, the person deploying it, the help desk, everyone knows what's going on. And, you know, the whole concept of DevOps, I'm sure you're, you're quite familiar with that, has come up with that. Um, do we do we have the right tools to to really meet our challenges that I teach today? I mean, I think there's a lot of discussion about this. You know, what's the next CIO going to look like? Uh, is it going to be much more decentralized? Uh, are we going to empower the users to to hire their own um, their own service providers and then give them the guardrails? Or you know, uh, what where are we going with all this discussion to, to solve these challenges around moving faster? Uh, getting getting the right systems built at the right time. I mean, we're still talking about this thirty years later. So I, I don't I don't know if this is going to be a very optimistic, you know, or uplifting <laughs> response. But you know, I, I kind of agree with you. I I actually think IT is in the danger. The, the normal IT organization is actually, in many cases, transforming into becoming the shadow IT of the company. Because if you think about the conversation that the you know we've had so far. So if the functional groups can go off and buy their SaaS tools, and all IT does is worry in the background about data management and integration and security, which is not obvious, you know, that's the under part of the iceberg that's not obvious to a lot of people. And BYOD has effectively, you know, been adopted, whether in practice or in principle. So people are doing company business on smartphones and tablets of their own. Um, and instead of going to the service desk, you know, people are talking to their peers across the cube about how do you do this and how do you do that, or they're you know using a bot to go crawl a knowledge base to get advice about how to reinstall a driver on their on their laptop. You know what? But then you get back to the perennial question: What are all those people doing and all that money? How do they spend all that money every year? It's like impossible to imagine. So, so yeah. I think it's real that. Um, you know, the visibility that IT has in a lot of organizations kind of wanes, you know, when, when you look at um, the higher visibility excitement of the HR director that brought in the new applicant tracking tool or the, you know, the new hire from across the street that uses the Microsoft Surface device or, you know, the list goes on. So, so um, you know, I think we, we do kind of operate a bit of peril here. And, and the areas we need to double down on are things that we read about all the time, you know, data analytics, um, security concerns um, and ways of driving collaboration. You know, I just think the, the workplace has become so much more virtual. You know, we were able to have more control when people all drove to the central office and parked their cars in the suburban parking lot and you know trooped in and had um, you know fixed desktops. You know, and, and no smartphones, and it was a lot easier to have control. Yes, and, right. And these days, that's not the way the world works. It's a twenty-four by seven experience. I can assure you, the employees in this company. Probably all have three to six different devices that they use to access different business applications, and they are a twenty-four by seven um, organization where people are, you know, doing different kind of business-related things any time of day. So you know, that's a whole different workplace to try to, to manage and um, you know make as productive as possible. That's a that's a big challenge. So so the opportunities are certainly there. You know, if you have the credibility and trust to come in and do something, you know, you can offer some solutions. I think. Um, and I'm circling back here and, and repeating myself a bit, and then really coming up with a compact with different functional teams about you know how can we how can we jointly do business together um, to get you access to things more quickly or to deliver more functionality more quickly, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, you've said some very actually some very provocative things, and, and you know, the question is: is 
a role, is the role of the CIO becoming one of where the CIO is the conductor, right? Out in front, leading the business, but, you know, connecting HR with the supply chain, connecting the operations folks with uh, customer care, just connecting all the dots in the business to make it work. And it's kind of visible as a digital leader out front, or really as a CIO becoming more of a man behind the curtain, man, man or woman behind the curtain. Uh, who's who's make, being the success by by uh, by empowering and enabling different uh, agents of change inside the organization, or is it a combination of the two? I mean, this is I think where a lot of people are trying to figure out what's the right stance to take in, in all of this to get to the next step. So I always think it's dangerous when a CIO or any IT exec tries to convince business people that the IT organization has delivered business value. You know, <laughs> then it's hard to do. <laughs> well, and I think the business, what you want is the business exec to tell his colleagues that IT has to deliver business value because IT people are too, you know, in most instances, too financially naive. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I have a lot of pronounced views about business value realization. Um, you know, I would much, I know that there's a kind of an orthodoxy about you know, a year after a project, we should go back and look at the original business case and monitor what happened and what didn't happen. You know, my personal experience is that so many other factors can intervene. You could have lost an executive sponsor. You might have spun off a division. You might have acquired yeah, somebody re else. Yeah, retrospectives are, are hit and miss as a result of that. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, so, you know, to try to, and then even if there have been very positive results, to try to attribute what part of that had to do with, like, the technology you know, we reorganized, right? We, you know, we moved 20 people out, hired three people with new skills, distributed the function across three continents and whatever, and now it's like better. It's like cheaper, faster, and better. Well, that's great, you know, but so what, what part of that can you lay off on the IT business case? So this, I will, I will share a personal experience um, with you. When I was at a, a former company, uh, we had made a uh, transition from Siebel as our um, uh, CRM system, an on-prem version of Siebel, and we moved to the cloud, and we implemented Salesforce.com. And we had two divisions in this company, and the president of one of the divisions said very publicly, repeatedly, he said, that was the best IT project that I've seen in the last three years. So, you know, <laughs> that, that <laughs> the business value associated with having the president being willing to say that, you know, and sincerely in, in multiple forums, surpassed, you know, any kind of documentation I could have produced that would have tried to convince people that we had actually generated some value. So what I, what you know I, what? And that's the best measure. Does the business feel it in its bones, right? As opposed to a spreadsheet that they'll never understand anyway. So yeah, it's, it's a really interesting challenge. So so I want to make sure we have time to talk about your book. So I'll be the next, the next question after this one. Uh, one, I had uh, Joanna Young. She's a well-known CIO, a CIO uh, maven, if you will. Uh, and, and her... Um, uh, she's hot about the topic of IT talent, uh, which, you know, bringing people on board in, uh, in IT, but then putting them, having them spend time in the business before they get their, you know, full responsibilities on their shoulders so they can solve some of the problems you talked about uh, in terms of getting to really understand the business and building the relationships that allow that effective IT to be developed. Uh, but the, the real challenge uh, I see increasingly is that a lot of the best and the brightest don't want to work for... Um, don't, don't want to work for traditional IT. Uh, they want to work for product companies, and they want to work for the best. How do you how do you compete with the Amazon, Google, and Facebooks for the the talent that'll propel you guys into being a leading product organization, which I mean, you're already in the leading cohort? But how do you stay there? How do you as you grow? How do you get the right people? That's a that's a challenge, obviously. Um, you know, it's interesting. I've done a fair amount of college recruiting um, in the past, 
And when you go to the job fairs uh, and the students come up and of course they're getting degrees usually in some kind of an engineering or scientific field, they seem to all have an intuitive understanding of software development. So the idea of you know, requirements and coding and testing and all that. So, so that kind of a um, you know, work style or profession it somehow intuitively makes sense, probably because students today have to do programming. So they've kind of you know, got it themselves already and at least in, intuitively have some kind of a mental model. On the flip side of the coin, when you describe some of the things that we do with an ID, it's, they've never heard of these things before, like you know, evaluating multiple vendors, um, tuning our extract, uh, tra uh, transform, and load tools for updates to the data warehouse, um, looking into the security operations center and trying to reduce false positives. You know, I mean, like, this is stuff they don't get exposed to typically. Yeah. You know, in, in that kind of courses that they take, and so I, I think. Uh, you know, how do you attract people to that? Almost invariably, if you can get them to take a chance, um, you know, once they see the world of IT, again, the amount of change that goes on, the ability to work across business functions that we talked about before, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of people get, get really energized with uh, those kind of challenges. And even on the infrastructure side, you know, a large disaggregated corporation managing the network or managing security operations or running their own private cloud internal to the the data center of the company. Um, that, that, you know, people have different um, applications and interests, and, and I think you can easily tap that enthusiasm. But you've got to get over the initial barrier of of ignorance to you know kind of expose them to the stuff that that we really do. And, and I don't know if there's a good prescriptive formula for that necessarily. Well, that's something you have to teach them all the rest of the things that uh, they didn't get in their college education because IT is evolving and, and becoming a very sophisticated field these days, and that's really the challenge. So, so my last question um, has to do with what do, what do we tell CIOs just now getting into this very complicated, very fast-moving space? The role is shifting. Uh, you've had some, uh, you've really codified your thoughts on that recently with your new book, uh, Truth from the Trenches. Um, maybe you can give us a little bit of uh, background on the book uh, and kind of your, what would you, what advice would you give someone getting into your role um, like you did back in 1977. So, uh, 97, 97. so uh, you know, the book is called Truth from the Trenches, uh, a practical guide to the art of IT management, because I think you know, IT management is maybe one part science and two parts art. Um, you certainly don't go to school to learn how to be, you know, an IT exec. You learn through experience. Um, that's That's... For better or worse, I mean, that's the path everybody takes to uh, these kind of jobs. Um, and what I, I unfortunately found, I've, so I've had multiple opportunities to network with other CIOs and share war stories. I've worked for a couple of enterprise software companies where I got to interact with CIOs of our client companies and even more broadly, you know, understand what some of their issues are and, and um, problems that they've been trying to solve. And I don't think it'll come as a surprise to most of our listeners that you know, on a bad day, IT kind of looks like the movie Groundhog Day with everybody making all the same mistakes that we all know about just kind of repetitively over and over again. Um, well said. You know, you know one, of, one of my favorite stories is, uh, again, several jobs ago, <clears throat> we had an outage of our principal data center. And um, it turned out it was being done because uh, an engineer decided to update the software on the primary switch in the data center on a Thursday afternoon. So when the head of infrastructure came in to tell me about this, I said, you know, I'm not like the most technical guy in the world, but I thought 
I'm surprised. I don't think we would make a change to the primary switch in the data center during, you know, prime shift during normal business hours. I don't, I thought we did that on the weekend. <laughs> he said, oh yeah, we do do that on the weekend, but so-and-so's son has a bar mitzvah this weekend. So he thought he would get it done on Thursday. So he could, he wouldn't be bothered to have to do this over the weekend. Kind of thing. So even when you have rules, you know, people break them all the time. So, so yeah, it's the groundhog day syndrome that'll come back and bite you uh, more often than not. So a part of this was personal therapy. I, 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 a fully full vent to all my frustrations and you know pent up um, lessons learned uh, in the book, and it was uh, really kind of a pleasure to, to write. But there's several takeaways. I guess I'd leave the listeners today with uh, three. You know, one is to follow the money. IT organizations inevitably spend a fair amount of money, and I think uh, in terms of your credibility uh, with your peers at any level of a company, uh, if you're a, in a leadership position in IT. You know, you've got to be on top of your numbers. You need to understand where the money's going, how you benchmark against other firms. Um, you know, through networking, what some of your, um, you know, your friends are doing in terms of the efficiency of their service desk or with collaboration tools, etc. Uh, you know, you've got to negotiate vendor contracts. You just have to be a, a, you know, a good steward of the company's financial resources. So that's kind of one. Um, two, I would recommend for anybody coming up through the ranks in IT management. And maybe I maybe I'll maybe I'll make this up and start selling it on some website or whatever. But there should be a sign that says "People, Process, and Technology" with like you know progressively smaller font. So like "People" is the biggest font, yeah. and "Process" yeah. is whatever the technology. I buy that is small sign. One. Yep. And you know we all tell ourselves that, but when you're a technologist, you just don't behave that way. So like you need almost like a daily reminder. You know what is it? The Notre Dame football team they they come down the. the the stairs and they hit that, that panel. I think it says like be a champion today or something like that. So maybe like CIOs yep. should have that thing that says people processing technology over their door and then they just like hit it every day. Well, I've seen that sign, but never as you never with the right emphasis on, on, on proportion. So no, that's, that's a fantastic. So that, you know, and then I think, um, you know, the last one uh, I would say is really focus on the art of the possible. It, there's, well, there's so many good ideas floating around. You know, and the issues around IT credibility, uh, business criticality, availability of funds, executive sponsorship, the right skill set in the organization. You know, when you think as a CIO about having an impact, it's almost like an alignment of the planets for all of those factors to suddenly appear for some brief moment in time where you can actually pursue some kind of a, a you know, relatively major innovation agenda. And really good CIOs kind of develop a sixth sense for when that alignment occurs and they develop the political capital so they can kind of strike when the iron is hot, you know, get the funding, motivate their own troops, get the sponsorship that they need and really, you know, do some amazing things. But, um, you know, that doesn't happen every other week. You, you've got to keep your nose to the ground like a good detective and watch for those opportunities when they show up. Right. Well, and, and that combination of skills you just mentioned is actually a fairly rare combination. And that's why there really aren't that many people who can fill that that, that role. It's a complicated one that, that requires you to have be able to collate all of this human and technical uh, complexity into and synthesize it into decisions and leadership. And that's uh, it's a real challenge. Well, so, Mark, thank you. That's what makes it fun every day. <laughs> that's what makes it exactly. It's, it's not easy to do. And so when you do it well, it feels great. So, uh, uh, well, Mark, um, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Uh, this was uh, CXO Talk, episode uh, 248, I believe. We had uh, uh, Mark Settle, the CIO of Okta. Thanks very much for watching, everyone. Mm -hmm.